Hi everyone, welcome to Name Drop San Diego. I'm Christy Totten here with my co-host Abby Hamblin. On this podcast, we talk about interesting locals you can name drop to your friends. And at the end of the show, we ask our guests to name drop someone who has been meaningful to them or maybe who just deserves the spotlight. We've had a great time getting to know these amazing San Diegans so far, and we hope that you'll check out some of our other recent episodes. Today, we're going to hear from a famous person in the community here. The name Gwen is pretty well known around San Diego thanks to Hall of Fame Padres player Tony Gwen. And that legacy continues with his son, Tony Gwen Jr., who has had his own major league career and now works as a baseball broadcaster. Tony called in for a conversation about his famous father, his days as a player, and his work to make baseball more diverse. You can hear Tony Gwynn Jr. on 97.3 FM, The Fan, and on Fox Sports San Diego talking Padres baseball and much more. Today he joins us to talk about himself. Here we go. So thank you so much for joining us. How have you been doing during the pandemic and what have you been up to lately? uh, I'm getting through it, probably like everybody else. It's not easy, especially when you got four little ones running around at and they're not really little anymore, except for my, my five-year-old. The rest of them are, you know, little girls, and they're, they're managing pretty well. Uh, but for the most part, we've, we've stayed at home. Uh, and we've been out. We try to abide by the rules, and we're just trying to get through it like everybody else, I think. Nice. Well, we wanted to go back to your beginnings in baseball. You know, did your parents uh, put any pressure on you to play, or did you really want to? No, uh, actually, my parents were hands off when it came to baseball. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case in other sports, but specifically baseball. Being that my dad didn't really want my name to be, didn't want me to be named after him. I think he recognized that um, since I did have the same name and I was playing the same sport, it comes with some expectations that people put on you. And I think because of that, he recognized it and, and completely was hands off until I started asking questions in high school. Yeah, those expectations, it seems like even if he wouldn't want that for you, I'm sure you experienced that, right? Can you talk a little well, about that? Yeah, no doubt. Obviously, with my dad being the in the spotlight that he was here in San Diego, from the moment I started playing Little League uh, T-ball, um, there was an expectation that I was going to be as good as he was. and. I think over time, it just becomes like putting on your pants. You know, you don't even really think about it. It's part of your your makeup. So um, I, I do, I remember one instance specifically, I was like nine years old. I was playing with 11 and 12 year olds. It was my first time. And I, th- I think I swung through like, I swung and missed at like five, five or six straight pitches as a nine year old. And I remember one of the coaches being, saying something along the lines of, you know, that's that's not right. You, you know, you're supposed to almost insinuating that I should be hitting the ball like my father was. At least that's how nine-year-old me took it at the uh-huh. time. So uh, I think after over, uh, over time, you just get used to it and expect it and you just deal with it as it comes. So when you did start asking questions, um, asking him questions, uh, what kind of response did you get? Was he really involved in Little League? Or I think he was dying to... to <laughs> answer these questions so his response was was what you would want it to be I think um because he has been so hands-off he'd show up when he he could but remember during 
the time during Little League is during the summer. And that's right in smack dab in the middle of their season. So games he could get to, you know, the early morning ones, he would get there and check it out. But never said anything to me until uh, I was a junior and I started getting some, um, some letters. And at that point, I actually went to him and started asking. I mean, it was almost like he had been waiting for years for me to ask him. That's amazing. He must have been so happy. He was. He was, he was ecstatic. I bet that took a lot of restraint, or at least that's a pretty amazing that that was his strategy because you watch these parents these days at these games and they know nothing about the sport and they're just yelling and yelling and yelling at their kid. And I can't imagine being like the best you can be at a thing and just being like, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I listen, I have three girls that play competitive soccer and I know how difficult it is for me <laughs> to restrain myself from saying anything to him. So, yeah, I, I just think he, he had an understanding, especially as he started to become, you know, the all-star and, and more in the national eye. I just think he understood that baseball is one of those sports where if you fail so much as it is, if you don't have a love for it on your own, it's not going to last anyway. So I think he understood that and kind of let me develop it on my own. I want to go back to something you said a little bit ago. Your dad didn't want you to be named after him? No, because I, I think he, he, at the time, I mean, 82, he's, he's not the, the star he was at that point. He wasn't even known yet in Major League Baseball. So I think he just, I think he just wanted to go a different route. He didn't want that to be that me to be following, have to follow his footsteps the way everybody would expect me to. Um, and, you know, he lost that, that battle regardless, my mom. Yeah, my mom got to name me what she wanted anyway. Well, what, what, what would your name be in an alternate universe where your, your father got to choose? I, I think he was on the name Andrew for whatever reason. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I obviously, I can't imagine myself as an Andrew at this point, but that was where he was going. Okay, so you mentioned that there was, you know, pe people saying those sorts of things to you early on, like ex expectations being really high. And we wondered if we could play a little clip for you really quick okay. um, that conveys that exact thing. Okay, here we go. Does this look familiar? <laughs> yes, this looks very familiar. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> 12 years old, size nine shoe. I mean, he's, a, he's like a horse. Tony Gwynn Jr. is growing fast. So when he comes to the ballpark with dad, a snack has to follow the workout. Basically just shag, that's it. Don't do nothing else, except for eat, mm, drink, that's it. On the road, Tony Jr. is the bat boy. Very curious to see how good a player he'll become. As far as hitting, advice from a five-time batting champ comes in handy. Oi problem I'm having right now is hitting off a lefty because I'm a left-hander. He tells me to just keep my shoulder in and I'll be able to hit, hit the ball the other way or take it to right field. Here comes Gwen. Gwen makes the play in foul territory. Dad is also one of the best outfielders in the league, but Tony Jr. prefers another position. Short. I don't like the outfield because I just don't like the outfield. And Jr. looks hot with the glove. That deserves a wow. Dad also teaches how to deal with the media. Do an interview for the TV people, man. Show them, show them that you're a professional. You gotta learn all bases of the game. And he is. But does Tony Jr. want to play pro ball? It's a matter of get, keeping the grades up. 
If I can do that, yeah, probably. I don't like to sit back and, and brag on my son, but he's he's starting to make some strides of being the kind of player I think he wants to be. Little Gwynn has the good genes, you know. With that in mind, we could see the name Gwynn in Major League box scores well into the next century. You were smiling a lot throughout that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, it takes you back. It takes you back. I, I remember, I remember that day. I remember, uh, I remember that interview even to this day. Um, and it, it, you know, a lot of people ask me why I'm so comfortable in front of a camera. I was exposed to that at a very, very early age, even before that clip there. And um, you know, you, you don't think about it at that point, but you know, it, it served it's it served me well so far. I love that you didn't want to be not not outfield's not for me. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I think it literally none of the actions in the outfield. So I didn't so want to true. be out there. I wanted to be close where I could be involved. That changed though, as you saw later on. So in getting ready for this interview, we heard a funny story about you on another podcast. It was from the days hanging out with your dad in the dugout. It had to do with the dirty laundry bin. Does this ring any bells? And will you oh, share yeah. that story with us? Yeah. Um, you know, one of, one of the problems of being the son of Tony Gwynn is you think that everything that he's doing professionally is the norm and everybody else is doing it. So you know, my dad is known for, you know, hitting 300 for however many straight years of his career. I thought that was normal. I thought that was what everybody else was doing. So um, I think I was about nine years of age. Um, this was my first lesson of, of being around men in a clubhouse. And um, I think I was, I was messing around with Brad Osmond, who was the catcher at the time for the Padres. <clears throat> young he was just up uh from the minor league so um i think i said something along the lines i think he was hitting like 249 or something and i made a, a a little comment about him not basically being very good because he hit was hitting 249 <laughs> uh, and he might have even been hitting higher than that um uh, and uh as you can imagine that got under his skin a little bit and we were I was nine, obviously, and I'm popping off in, in this environment. And so they, uh, right before it was time to go out on the, on the field, my dad, for a 7.05 game, he'd probably go out to the field around 6.50 and do his sprint. So, and that was really around the time everybody started kind of trickling out of the clubhouse. So it was just me and Scott Livingston and Brad Osmond. And I was popping off to both of them. They basically got some athletic tape, tied me up, uh, feet, <laughs> arms together, threw me in the, the, the laundry bin, and I was in there crying for like at <laughs> least 15, 20 minutes. Because at that point, everybody, it was game time. So everybody was out on the field until uh, my guy, Tony Patrica, who's, who's still with the Padres, uh, he was one of the clubhouse attendants, he was a clubhouse cook, came in, untied me took me out and I thought and part of the reason why I was crying was because I thought I was going to get in some serious trouble for my father yeah uh but when it was all said and done he heard about it obviously at that point after the game he just I remember in the car right home he asked me if I'd learned my lesson and I was like yes it's like <laughs> this is 
this is a game to you, but this is a job to, to these men in here. And you have to be respectful of that. And so from that point on, kept my mouth shut. So you later had the same job, you know, you played for the Padres. You also played for the Brewers, for the Dodgers, for the Phillies. What is it like to have to adjust to a new team and adjust to a new fan base? It is, uh, the fan base part's easy. Um, I think obviously you go to tougher fan base going from, from Milwaukee, which is a love fest to San Diego, which is a love fest to LA, which is expectations are a little bit higher to a place like Philly, where I think you got the, the tip, the, the upper echelon of fan and fanatics uh, for that organization. So that part you adjust to relatively easy, but I think when you have a family and you're moving from place to place, that's tough. You got to find a place that can accommodate. Then uh, from there, I think some of the other difficult things that pop up is uh, you want to fit in with your teammates. You know, you, you want to be respected in the clubhouse. So going through that process isn't necessarily hard. It's just nerve wracking. Uh, and it, and it leads to anxiety sometimes in some of those things. So you, you're fighting those things, but usually after about two weeks, two weeks there, you get kind of familiar with everybody, it kind of dissipates. Obviously, our listeners are mostly San Diegans, but do you have a favorite place that you played outside of San Diego? Uh, outside of San Diego, people are going to be mad about this, but it's probably <laughs> LA. Um, it was close. It, it, for me, I like being in California. You know what I'm saying? I like being close to home. I knew on an off day, if I wanted to, I could get on the, on the train, I could drive home. And it was it wasn't a big deal. And the other places I played, there was no shot to get home. Like I couldn't, I couldn't drive home. I couldn't take a quick flight home. Uh, but if if I had to pick, I, I would say it would be a tie between Milwaukee and LA. Other than San Diego, those are those are my two favorite places. Nice. Um, well, one of my favorite things in preparing for these interviews is to look at Wikipedia because. <laughs> So you never know what's going to be on there. No, you don't. <laughs> no but you there's, don't. But there's a really great piece of trivia on there about you, which I want to run. I'll just read the Wikipedia characterization. So correct me if there's anything wrong here. But in 2007, your second year in the majors, you were on the Brewers. And there was a game where you were playing against the Padres. Trevor Hoffman's on the mound. And he was one out from sending the Padres to the playoffs. But yeah. you came in to hit as a pinch hitter. You tied the game with a triple. This is really good Padres trivia, I feel like, because I'm guessing you hang out with Trevor Hoffman now or at least have some relationship. But what do you remember from that game? Or, like, what was that like, you know, being the guy who kind of put a stop to the Padres that year? Uh, for me, it was gold. I mean, it was, like, <laughs> it was awesome. Um, and it wasn't really had nothing to do with the Padres. It was more about myself, you know, at that time. I'm my, as you mentioned, my second year in the big leagues are getting, you know, in the big leagues, I guess you could say. Uh, and I'm still trying to establish myself as, as a major leader. So, you know, any, any hit I can come up with uh, that will uh, help boost me, I'm, I'm trying to, I, it's my job ultimately. So I, I, I want to be good at my job. And so uh, I remember getting the, the, the word I was going to hit from, from Ned Yost, our manager. And I remember walking up the steps thinking to myself, this is surreal right now. Like I already knew it. I knew what the situation was for the Padres. They get this win, they clinch. 
um, in the back, the back story is I had already arranged this is the second to last game of the season. So I had already arranged to fly home with the Moors who owned the Padres at the time. They were really good friends of my, uh, they are really good friends of my mom and dad. So I had, I had arranged to fly home with them before this day had, had come up. So I come up, I'm thinking about all this. I'm like, okay, Trevor's on the mound. This is a dude who basically a family member to me. I've grown up around him. I know him. I've, I've watched him pitch hundreds of times. And I know exactly what, what he's capable of and what he likes to do. Um, meantime, I'm thinking, man, how outrageous would it be? Because my dad is in the press box because he's doing, he had done the game the night before for the Padres. So he's in the press box watching this. And oh, Wikipedia <laughs> missed that. I remember coming up and um, thinking to myself as I'm walking to play, like, how crazy would it be if I end up getting a hit here and tying this game up? And, you know, we end up – because you also have to keep in mind the Brewers at the time, we were still in the the, the playoffs. We had just got eliminated the, the night before, and we were trying to shoot for our first year finishing 500 in a long time. So – Ned Yost is managing, like, we're still in this bad boy. So I come up, he had, Trevor had thrown, like, seven or eight straight change-ups in the, to the previous two batters. So he hadn't thrown anything else. And so I get up, I know what he wants to do, and uh, I think it counts one and two or two and one. I can't remember exactly, but I remember – and leaving the change up up and me just being able to keep my hands back long enough to like flick it down the right foot line. I remember sliding in head first and who is, who is sitting in the first row on the third base side? It's the Moors. Oh. I slide in and I make eye contact with John and you could just see the, the, the disgust in his face that I had <laughs> just done. And so yeah. Did you give him the Kobe Bryant shrug? No, I, I made sure I, I made eye contact with him. He didn't make eye contact with me. So I was able to kind of shift my eyes, get back into the and I was excited. So, you know, it came up with a pretty big hit. And so I was pumped up. Uh they would end up losing that game, losing the following game, having to play the one game playoff. I fly back with the Moors, you know, the night day before the one game playoff. And the whole way home, I'm like, I felt isolated. I don't think they, they weren't isolating me. They were probably tired because it was a long day, but I just felt like I needed to go into the corner and just kind of like be by myself. I slept the whole flight and land and, you know, city was pretty mad at me. I was living in, in PB at the time. And I remember walking that down the street that next morning, the day of the playoff game and just in my mind praying the Padres would win so that I wouldn't catch any more heat than I was getting. <laughs> But they were pretty upset with me for, for at least that offseason. That's amazing. There's so much more to that story than I even expected. Yeah. And uh, the whole the, – the fact that your dad watched you do it too. Did he say anything about it or do you remember like he, – He wasn't on TV, thankfully, because a lot of Padre <laughs> fans would have saw him fist pumping his team <laughs> yeah. losing a game or his son getting a hit, however you want to look at it. 
Okay, and then the, the last question about this is, have you talked to Trevor Hoffman about it? And do you constantly roast him for it? Because I would if I was you. <laughs> I, I don't roast him for it. I don't need to. A lot of other people bring it up to him. Okay. Every time we're together and we do a show or, or some type of uh, interview, it gets brought up. And it's never by me. I, I, I have too much love and respect for him to, to be throwing it. Plus, who am I to be rubbing at this? This guy's a Hall of Famer. You know, I, I got one hit off of him. He's got a whole bunch, many more accolades. You just retired a few years ago from playing, um, and now you're in you're in broadcast. Can you tell us about that transition? Uh, why is that the direction you chose to go? Well, I've been planning for probably three, four years out uh, before I decided to retire. I, I knew I wanted to be close to the game of baseball. I, I love it. But I also knew I didn't want to be spending the same time away from home that I did while I was playing, you know, especially with my girls all at the age that they kind of need their dad to be around. So I wanted to do something that would allow me to <clears throat> navigate both. And coaching, you're right there, you're in, you're in the mix, but you're basically, your time is basically like the players. You know, you got to be there and sometimes, most of the time earlier than the players. So um, you know, and, and that's, I'm passionate about things like that. So if I were to get into coaching, I would be dumping like a hundred percent of me into it. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do the job if I was halfway in. And, and so, um, broadcasting provided a chance to be close to the game, do something that I, I, I like doing and also be able to be a, a husband and father uh, more so and more time-wise than I was able to do as a player. <clears throat> so you mentioned your daughters are in soccer. Yes. You also have a son. Can you talk to us about whatever they might be into and also how you as a professional athlete uh, approach them, you know, compared to how your father approached you? I'm probably a little harder than my father was. Um, and, and that's probably because I had as for me, I had more deficiencies than my dad did when it came to, you know, sports. Um, and so I think sometimes I compensate by making sure that they don't fall into some of the same habits I fell into as an athlete. Uh, but they love, they love soccer. Uh, all three of them love it very much. To all, th all three are pretty good and they all have big dreams. So I'm all for big dreams. You know, I, I'm, I'm not the parent that's going to, try to you know bring some type of realism to them if you will you know I, I I let them dream big and I try to I try to feed those dreams as much as possible I, I'm very I'm a realist to them though I, I let them know you know my for instance my oldest wants to go to Stanford and play soccer I'm like that's not an easy task but it's certainly not out of reach so uh, I try to give her the tools that she needs in order to to to, to get there she's an excellent student way better than a student than I was. I, I tell her, tell my wife all the time, like, man, it is stressful being an A student. I, I don't, I can't comprehend what that is like, but I see it in her. So, um, so yeah, I just try to, I try to, I try to be a tool for them to use in order to achieve their dreams. Awesome. As you did um, get into playing and you said that you didn't really talk to your dad about the sport until you got older but when when you were in college playing and then in the pros did you have those conversations about oh, yeah. you know by the time I was in college I mean he was like an open book 
And, you know, we shared so many of the same interests. My father and I, like, we both, basketball was probably our number one love. Like, we both loved it to death. We both decided to play baseball for, for reasons, for the same exact reason. Neither of us was tall enough, we felt like. And, you know, by the time I got to college, he was an open book. He only got, we, we actually started spending more time together in college because he retired from baseball. He became the hidden coach my sophomore year and then became the head coach my junior year. So we got to spend more time to have these type of conversations um, than we did at any other point in my life. So by the time I was in college and really from that point until he was really sick, uh, we talked pretty much every day about it. What's one of the greatest lessons you've learned, um, you know, either from your father or just baseball or life? Yeah. So one of the things that I gathered throughout my career is, is confidence. One of the things I try to install on my kids, because it wasn't something that was necessarily talked about for me growing up. And I think because my mom and dad were both confident individuals, I think they just assumed that, you know, their kids would be confident. And we were to a certain extent, but I look back on, on some of the best players I've ever played with, like their confidence, like was never rattled. Like, they could be in an 0 for 30 slump, haven't got a hit in, in a month. In their mind, they were going to go 30 for 30 or 30 for their next 30 that would even that out. And that was something that I struggled with in my career. So it's something I try to really uh, install in my kids, just be confident no matter what. And the other thing is is hard work. There is no replacement for it at all. And um, I think the last thing is be passionate about what you what you do because ultimately if you're not passionate about it no matter how good you are the flame burns out real quick and um if you have those three tools i think you can go a very very long way your son is your youngest right yes do you foresee him playing baseball do you want him to do you want him to go the soccer route i'm hopeful i'm hopeful for all of that like if he wants to play soccer and he's really good awesome if he wants to play baseball, I will give him everything I possibly know when he's ready. I think I, that's – I will certainly follow my dad's lead on that one. And, and just – because as I said, if you don't <laughs> – baseball is, is such a grind uh, as you start getting older. I mean, Little League is fun. You're playing once, twice a week, you know, one practice. I mean, it's not it's, – it's fun. But once you start getting into high school, college especially I really starts nowadays in high school once you get to that level you have to love it or you'll just burn out it's 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 every day so I will be hands-off when when it comes to baseball when he asks to go out and, and play we go out and play uh I would love for him to play soccer I wish it was that's one of the sports you know watching my daughters play that I wish I would have played growing up uh but whatever he wants to do I'm, I'm gonna be on I'll be on board I want to ask about sports right now, you know, of course, because of the pandemic, we're not having any at the moment, but, um, you know, as a former player and broadcaster, like, how do you see the pandemic affecting the league? And what would you do if you were a player right now? That's a really good question. Um, as for, to answer the first part of the question, I think it will affect sports in some ways. Uh, hopefully it's not the worst way, which is we don't end up having any at all. 
Um, but it's going to affect it. I mean, we're seeing it in real time right now, whether it's basketball and Russell Westbrook uh, or, or baseball and, and guys like Mike Trout, not 100% sure he's going to play. I mean, these are real-life things going on. And I think sometimes we tend to, especially in sports, we tend to almost look at these guys as mythical characters. And the reality is when they don't have that uniform on, they're just like you and I, and they have families that they worry about, no matter how much money you're making. Um, I'm willing, I, I know things can seem pretty bad right now, but I'm willing to bet that most humans want their families and kids to be safe, regardless of how much money they're bringing in. So, you know, you, you got to respect it. You look at a guy like David Price, who's making millions of dollars, like, you know what, it's, it's I I don't feel safe, so I'm not going to play. And you got to respect that. I, I don't. I don't see how you can look at it any other way, honestly. Now, in terms of what I would do, it'd be tough. It, ultimately, if my wife and my mother and my mother, you know, felt uncomfortable about it, I'd have to then make a decision if I'd be okay being away from them that longer period of time. It would be tough for me to play right now, if I'm being honest. I'm interested now that you're in the broadcast booth, you know, there's all different ways to consume sports now, different yeah. packages, cer certain leagues are different about social media than others. You know, there's all of that. And I wonder about how, what you think about how the fan base and sort of the outlook toward baseball has changed from when your dad played. And even when you were early on playing versus now, you know, like what have you seen changed about the league and kind of people's view toward it? I mean, I've seen some things change for the good. Obviously, when you have the different platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, you can engage differently than you have in the past. I mean, there's access. Every team pretty much has a local television deal where they can get the T games on TV. And so that's all great. But I, d I don't feel like the game is, is promoted the way that it needs to be. Like, I... I remember as a kid seeing so many different baseball commercials on TV and they weren't all necessarily MLB sanctioned. They were based, you know, whatever companies they, these guys were representing, you have to see a lot of them. I, I just, maybe I'm old and I don't watch TV as much, but I feel like I don't see it as much. And, and you see it in, I think you're starting to see it in the popularity in games and it's different. Like I was explaining to, to a friend of mine, in the 80s and 90s, and even in the early 2000s, right, baseball was the dominant sport. Um, but in that time, basketball has has grown so much. You know, they don't they didn't they don't have the problems that they had in the 80s with their league. NFL has grown so much. So now you're not competing from a, a, a pedestal, so to speak. It's kind of even playing field. And so you know, I think. That's why baseball has, you know, kind of fallen in popularity. There's other sports that people enjoy just as much. So I think baseball's got to do a better job of really marketing their 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 superstars. And listen, that's not always not all on MLB. They got to get cooperation from the players. They have to want to do some of those things too. Um, but I think there's enough out there that they can do it. You don't have to to focus on just the Mike Trout of the world got a uh, depending on the area the the region you can use different guys and I just think baseball could do a little bit better job of that 
as a former player and having seen, you know, the popularity that your dad had, I, I, I'm more of an NBA person. So I know like th that is just superstar city over there. They all have their right. own podcast. Yeah. They're right. like, they have so much personality. And it does seem to me like the baseball players, you know, aren't as out there or maybe as, I don't know, like what would, what do you think the, they can do better or what can improve? There's a, there, there's a culture in baseball that, it's kind of old man-ish, you know, we, you show up to work with your hard hat, you do your job, you go home, you're, 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 you're more heard than seen, uh, or I should say more seen than heard. Um, and I think you got to, and in basketball, you bring up basketball, it's a perfect example, right? As crazy as some of these outfits are, as crazy as, you know, these guys have personalities and not only are they showing it when they show up to, to the arena, you see it on, on Twitter, you see it on IG, you see it on their podcast. And I think slowly baseball is starting to shift to that, but just think how long it took basketball to find it. I mean, you went from the, the Allen Iverson uh, era you know, and you've seen the kind of fads change over time to get to the point where uh, they are now. So hopefully baseball, as I said, they're slowly starting to make that turn. Uh, they're not there yet, though. I was hoping you could give us an outlook, um, you know, for the Padres this upcoming season. I know it's been a few hard years for the organization, um, but there's also exciting talent. There's there's also exciting talent. So yeah. tell us tell us what's what's coming down the pike. Uh, I'm excited for the pods. I, I, I really am. I think they got a chance, especially in this crazy 60-game sprint. Uh, they're going to have a chance to, to do something. They have one of the best, if not the best, bullpen in baseball going in. I firmly believe that Manny Machado in his second year is going to be a, a different monster uh, offensively. He's going to continue to be the, 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 the minister of defense uh, on the defensive side. But um, I think for the pods, it boils down to their starting pitching. Um, what, kind of, what kind of productivity will they get from the front, the front three, which is, uh, which is depending on who goes, gets the opening day start, Chris Paddock, uh, Garrett Richards, and Nelson Lament. I think if they're having good seasons, if they have a good season, those three, I think, Padres are in business. I, I like the Tommy Pham move. They bring him in, bring some edge to this team that they desperately needed, and brings a guy who who is no nonsense. You know that hard hat, bring your lunch pail type guy. He he's that guy. So I'm excited about him. I think uh, I think it's wide open, uh, especially in a 60 game season. So you're a part of the Players Alliance. For those who don't know much about it, can you share a little bit what the mission is of the organization? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, our mission as being a part of this Players Alliance is really to provide more opportunity for, for kids of color uh, that want to play the game of baseball. And we've seen the numbers drastically get lower and lower and lower from the time that my dad was playing, where it was about 14, 15% to where we are now, which is at five, 6% rate, which is really low. And a lot of the things play into that. I mentioned the popularity of basketball going up. Baseball is a, is a, 
it's a commitment, right? Because unlike the other two sports, when you get drafted in baseball, you got to climb a ladder in order to get to the, the top. Basketball, football, it's almost instant gratification. You know, you get drafted in that first round, you're on the field, you're playing, bam. Um, it's not like that in, in baseball. So uh, we got to get more kids out wanting to play. Because to be honest, I have travel ball teams, and you just don't see a lot of uh, – especially black kids, you don't see a lot of them on the field. And um, that's part of our mission is to, is to get, provide them with more opportunity. Different classes we were putting together where, you know, some of the guys who get drafted, they can have some mentors to kind of uh, show them the way. Because, you know, for, for a lot of us who came up, we didn't necessarily have those. I mean, I'm, I come from a sense of a, a little bit of a privilege when it comes to this particular subject because of who my dad was and I recognize that and I've also had teammates that just didn't have that they didn't have somebody to lean on to kind of give them some guidance and uh, that's what we that's what we were trying to do for the Players Alliance for sure. When you talk about the number um, of children of color going into baseball what, what is the reason for that the number declining? As I said there's there's so many different it's it's so many different reasons I mean baseball is expensive super expensive. I mean, you look at these bats, anywhere from $200 to $500. Um, and, and kids in, in some of the underserved communities can't afford that. And I think uh, putting together, one of the other things player that we want to do it with the Players Alliance is put together programs that have long lasting effect, right? You don't, they have lots of great programs that bring kids in, they get them good instruction, but then they go home and then what? There's no follow-up. There's no, there's gotta be somebody that is continually coming to check. Hey, let's, let's get you out here. And we want to try to provide that type of thing. And uh, I think that would go a long way in changing these numbers. But to answer your question, price, the, the, the numbers, the popularity growing in the other two sports, football and, and, and basketball, those are predominantly black athletes on those fields there. So, um, we gotta, we got if we want more kids to play, we gotta find ways around at to at least start those two issues right there. Uh, we gotta combat the popularity of the two sports that are, are really attracting a lot of African Americans or black kids. Um, but the other thing we have to do is we gotta find programs that are, are consistent and continue to uh bring those kids back year after year after year because talking about going back to what we talked about earlier in the conversation about having a love for a game can't develop a love if you're not around it if you're not exposed to it so yeah I, I think those 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 things kind of contribute to me at least the price tag and the other the popularity in the other two sports uh before we let wait you one know. more thing can i can i add oh, yeah. one and and that is why uh the marketing part for MLB becomes important, right? Because I, you don't see too many black players being marketed for the game. And again, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know that maybe they've tried and haven't got the cooperation, but you don't see it as much. I remember seeing King Griffey Jr. all the time when I was growing up. I remember seeing Daryl Strawberry all the time when I was growing up. And obviously having a dad in my household that played obviously helps that matter a little bit, but those are the things I got to see. And um, I don't, I feel like I don't see it as much. 
You're also um, an advocate or an activist against tobacco use, specifically chewing tobacco. Um, I'm wondering what is the work you've done with that recently? And you know, like I know uh, the MLB banned it, but are you, are you seeing enough movement on that front? Are kids still getting into this or, or what's happening in that arena? I, I, have to, I have to really tip my hat to, to Major League Baseball on this because I mean, the culture has just changed around tobacco. Like you, you'd be hard pressed to go in a locker in Major League Baseball right now and, and find a, a lot of it. I mean, not saying that it's completely been eradicated, but you, you see far less cans in the pocket on the field. You see far less guys chewing on the field, to be quite honest. You still see it, but you see a lot more gum chewing. You see uh, a lot of different replacements uh, for which is, which is good. Um, as far as the work I've done, I haven't done it a lot lately. Uh, most of my work came, you know, around the time my dad passed away and a little bit after. I've been so locked in on, on, on some of the other things going on around us. I've been able to put as much attention to it, but uh, it's something that will always be something I'm supporting and, and, and being an activist against because I've seen how it can, uh, it can really hurt a family. And that was my own. Yeah, that's good to hear. I haven't heard anything about that debate in a little while, but that's good news. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's because it has cut down for me. I mean, when I was playing, <laughs> I mean, and you started to see it towards the end of my career, honestly, like 14, 15, you started kind of seeing less and less. And I'm down there often uh, before, obviously, the pandemic, and you, you just don't see it as much. You don't see guys now either they're doing a great job of hiding, but I don't understand why they would. They they hadn't hide, hide it, hadn't hit it for this long. So, and it's and it's addiction. So it's not like it's easy to hide in the first place. So, uh, I think a lot of the reason why we're not hearing about it is because you've seen the tobacco use cut down tremendously. So you've been interviewed a lot about yourself and your dad over the years, but what is something that people don't ask you enough? Or, you know, you probably get a lot of the same questions over and over, but what do people not know about you? Or what, what, what would you like to share about yourself? I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been in the city so long. I don't know if there's a lot that people don't know about me, but uh, I love, I love hip hop. I'm a big music head. Um, what are you listening to right now? I've, you know, I've been in kind of an old school kick lately. So I've been, I've been playing a lot of the, the 90s, 2000 rap. Yes. <laughs> I've been in that mode recently. Um, what else? I love TV shows. I love TV. What are you um, watching? Uh, well, all of my shows are on break right now, but I mean, I can run you through a list. Right now, we are watching that, that, uh, that, well, that Elise, <laughs> please. What's the name of the show we watch on TNT? Snow, Snow what? Snowpiercer on TNT. <laughs> okay. We watch that one. We need uh, to get her on the podcast. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love, I love FBI. I like a lot of the 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 uh, criminal shows. They, they, I, I enjoy those. What do you hope your legacy is? You know, you're still so involved in the community here. The Gwyn name is just, you know, it's always going to hold you know, such a love from this community, but you still have a lot to do. You know, you're, you're still invested in the Padres and baseball, you know, yeah. what, what, what are your plans and how do you want to continue to be remembered? I think if I can continue my, my father's legacy um, and, and continue to um, really be active in the community in terms of the youth, that's, that's where I'm putting a lot of my focus in 
is really helping the youth. Um, I think there's just, given everything that's going on right now, um, there just needs to be a lot more people trying to educate and, and, and sometimes listening. I think that's really where we're at right now. And, and I want to be somebody that's, that's actively doing that all the time. I try to do it on our, on our radio show Monday through Friday. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's taxing. It, it is mentally exhausting sometimes, but I know um, I want the world to be a better, in a better place by the time my kids are uh, adults and getting ready to bring, hopefully bring children into the world. So that's my goal. If I leave here and people remember me for, uh, for what I was able to do for other people, I'm good with that. Awesome. Just one last quick question. You know, this podcast is called Name Drop because we like to ask our guests to spotlight someone in this community, you know, who you think deserves attention or somebody who has made a big impact on your life. And so I'm wondering who for, who is that for you? Oh, those are two different questions, I think. Uh, in terms of my life, who's made a huge impact? Uh, I probably wouldn't be sitting in front of you guys if it wasn't for a lady named Maureen, Maureen Rodman. Uh, she was a tutor for me at the time. She's now helping kids get into college, you know, with the applications and, you know, the craziness that goes on with that. Um, but she helped, she got me straight. I mean, my grades were horrible going into my second semester of my junior year. And I mean, to be able to have the turnaround I had, I had to take, six classes most seniors are getting a period off I'm taking six plus another three at night to to catch up and without her help I probably am not here talking to you guys right now in terms of somebody who's doing something in the community that is is having an impact uh there's there's a, there's a brother named Armad King with Paving Great Future Futures and they're 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 they're, what they're able to do in some of the, the tougher neighborhoods here in San Diego, whether it's food drives, whether um, they're putting together programs so, so some of these kids can have some finan financial literacy or uh, culinary. I mean, there's so many different things that they're doing. Uh, him and his group, I think they're somebody that deserves to be in the spotlight for sure. Well, Tony, thank you for that. And thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been really great. No problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was an honor to do it with you guys. Yeah, thank you. To our first-time listeners, thank you for joining us today on Name Drop San Diego. And to our long-time listeners, thanks for your ongoing support. No matter how you found us, we'd love to hear who you think should be on our show next. Send a note to namedropsd at gmail.com to let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks this week to CBS 8 News here in San Diego for that special clip of Tony Gwynn Jr. and his father. Name Drop San Diego is published every Tuesday on your favorite listening app. See you next time.